The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the olden times, ancestry was often marked by whose portraits were hung on the walls and the great halls of estates and manors and palaces. If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, you can visualize these painted portraits displaying noble gentlemen stiffly posed before a hunt or gentle ladies ratcheted into tiny wasted gowns wearing tortured smiles. Younger generations would daily gaze upon these, their ancestors, as they passed through these great halls. These faces peering down on them would remind them of their place in the world and in their family tree. Ancestors who were criminal or otherwise unsavory were often left out of the family tree or, at the very least, given a very minor branch and only a hushed reference from time to time over tea, but certainly no honorary portrait hung in their remembrance. People aren't so different these days. With photographs of our celebrated ancestors also decorate our walls and adorn our desks and dressers and fill our picture galleries on our phones and computers. But unsavory characters are a different story these days as they were back then. Certainly, you can be sure no glass was ever raised to Uncle John, who was serving hard time in the Anamosa State Penitentiary for armed robbery, or Uncle Denny, who claims to be married to Barbara Streisand, insists he wrote the screenplay to Gentle, while also being an alien from a distant planet. These portraits are not hung in our homes. Toasts to them are never made. At best, they get a whispered curse as the Thanksgiving turkey is being carved.
However, more than likely, they are omitted from the family narrative altogether, as if that branch of the family tree were somehow magically and painlessly amputated. Interestingly, however, in these recent times, in these modern times, less than desirable ancestors are not so easily swept under the rug. With things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, people have more access to their family trees and ancestral lines than ever before. While some people are elated to discover their ancestry, others are devastated. It is certainly true that some people are discovering ancestral ties to George Washington, Martin Luther, Desmond Tutu, in my family, my dad's side of the family is spoken of proudly as German clergy, authors, missionaries. Their writings fill our bookshelves. Their stern faces scowl at us from old black and white photographs. Their names are engraved on plaques in churches, universities, seminaries. Somewhere out there, though, or maybe even in here, lies the gene pools of Bonnie and Clyde. Charles Manson has family out there somewhere, too. Some family tree out there has a branch belonging to Lee Harvey Oswald, or James Earl Ray, or Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. My mom's family tree contains tangled branches of the criminal, the mentally insane, and the outlaw including the previously mentioned uncles Johnny and Denny, a bloodline pointing directly to the first members of the Trahey clan, a band of horse thieves who fled Ireland to the United States in order to escape imprisonment. Needless to say, not only do these pictures not adorn our walls, there are in fact none to be found. Some family trees include St. Paul, evangelist, apostle, and teacher, while others include Judas, traitor, thief, scoundrel. Some family trees boast of fame and fortune and nobility. Some hang heavy with shame, guilt, and humiliation. I'm certain your own family trees have their share of honor and shame. Your own family narratives do the same delicate dance of whom to include and who gets erased from history. We all want to boast of our pedigree. We want to be able to brag if somehow this pedigree earns some advantage over others. It's human nature to want to brag about who we are and where we come from. Take St. Paul, for instance. Our second reading today opens with quite a pedigree. Paul seems to be boasting that he is as good a Jew as any, and perhaps even better. Not only was he circumcised on the eighth day as prescribed by the law, not only was he named after the only king of his tribe of Benjamin, Saul, not only was he as observant as any Pharisaic Jew, but he even went the extra mile by persecuting the church, which he once saw as a threat to Judaism. According to Paul, then, and the ancestry from which he is derived, 
and the tradition from which he comes, his pedigree is spotless. If we listen today, we can hear echoes of similar boasting, sometimes even in our own congregations. Things like, I am the founding member of this church. I have been the biggest financial supporter of this church for 20 years. All of my children were baptized and confirmed in this church, conveniently leaving out the child who never goes to church. Or our secret sins we would never confess aloud, or our own profound struggles and doubts in our faith lives. We present our pedigrees as if they somehow earn some advantage over other people and somehow earn God's favor. As Paul examines his ancestry and his accomplishments, he makes a shocking discovery. He discovers that as far as his relationship with Jesus Christ is concerned, his lineage and his pedigree mean nothing. He lists all that he has done, all that he is, and counts it as rubbish, things which he leaves behind in order to follow Jesus. In this way, Paul makes an astonishing shift from putting his confidence in his own pedigree to putting his confidence in Christ. And if we listen closely to Paul's words and hear echoes of Isaiah's words, what we discover here is astonishing freedom. Do not remember the former things or consider the days of old. I am about to do a new thing. Can you not perceive it? God whispers to Isaiah. God is doing a new thing in Jesus Christ by grafting you and me onto a brand new family tree, the communion of saints, the baptized community. The church is not to say that this new family tree is perfect. In fact, it is the opposite of perfect. It is bold and honest about sin and brokenness. In fact, we are bold enough to confess our imperfection every single week out loud. But in this family tree, no members are swept under the rug. No branches are cut off in shame and humiliation. No name is whispered in scorn and shame. The cup is raised for all to drink from. All are welcome at this table. Paul teaches us then that you don't have to be what your family tree condemns you to be. If it is a family tree that brings you shame, Christ frees you from that. If it is a tree you are proud of, Christ offers more. In Christ we are a brand new creation. In Christ then we find our source, our beginning, our ancestry. He is the seed of this new family tree that is the church. Pedigrees then become worthless 
when we look at one another as a brother or a sister, a fellow child of God, a fellow inheritor of God's kingdom, what joy and freedom in belonging here that even people history doesn't know what to do with suddenly have a place. Instead of looking at Judas as a traitor, we see him as brother, broken and greedy, tried his best, and we raise a glass to him. We look at Peter, a broken and frightened man who tried his best, and we raise a glass. We look at Paul, a broken and arrogant man who tried his best, and we raise a glass. We look at Martha, a broken and distracted woman who tried her best, and we raise a glass. We look at Lazarus, twice dead, twice alive, an oddity in human history. And we raise a glass. To Lazarus, a great guy, I went to both his funerals. <laughs> These are our ancestors. This is our lineage. This is our new family tree. Christ the head, source, seed. Do not remember the former things. Do not consider the days of old. Take down the dusty and scowling faces from the past, and behold instead the faces of your new brothers and sisters. Odd bunch that we are. Consider this new thing that God is doing. Consider this new great hall where instead of portraits of the royal and noble, portraits of scoundrels and thieves adorn the walls in expensive gilded frames, portraits of Judas and Peter, portraits of prostitutes and tax collectors, portraits of Paul and Stephen whom he stoned to death, portraits of the two criminals crucified on either side of Jesus, portraits of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Portraits of the diseased and the insane. Portraits of my uncle John and Denny, and I suppose one of Barbara Streisand as well. A portrait of me and a portrait of you.